Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we bow before you as we jump back into the book of Acts. Uh, God, it's been such a rich journey for us over the last really year and a half as we've journeyed from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 12. And uh, God, as we jump back into Acts chapter 13 and, and begin this section of scripture, Paul's missionary journeys. God, I, I first of all, as we've just watched by way of celebrating all that you have done in and through our church, specifically last year, the 19 salvations, the 14 baptisms, God, the, the incredible work that we've had the privilege of partnering in, not just through our church, but with churches all over the city, all over North America and all over the world. God, we want to pause and say thank you. And we want to acknowledge that you have truly been faithful. But God, as we now go into this next season of our church and, and Lord, as we begin to unpack these incredible missionaries that your servant Paul lived out, God, may you stir within us, Lord, a love for you. May you stir within us a love for the world. For God so loved the world. We know, God, that you gave your only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, would believe in you, Lord Jesus, will not perish but have eternal life. So Lord, we declare to you as we begin this new section of scripture where we are going to be challenged to live sent. God, we declare to you, here we are, Lord, send us. Here I am, Lord, send me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to us. God, may you empower us to keep going to the world. And so we love you, Jesus. We ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and direct and empower your servant this morning as we walk through your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Uh, we are so glad that you're here. My name is Rob Wilton. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church, and I want to welcome all of our first-time guests in the house. Can we thank God for our first-time guests? You are our VIP, and we are so thankful that you're here. We're kind of a new church in Pittsburgh. We're a movement of truth, love, and community, and we'd love to hang out and become a part of your Family. Well, as I prayed, we've been in the book of Acts for about a year and a half with a bunch of different stops and breaks and different things like that. Um, but we're now jumping back in. And so for this spring, we'll have a little bit of a break around Easter. We're going to celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday together in early April. Who's excited about Easter? That's like the Super Bowl for the church. Okay, we're going to have a blast together. Um, but on our journey till there, we're going to lock in on the book of Acts. So hopefully your Bible gets used to just kind of like opening up to the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 13. Now, I've entitled our message today, inspired by the Apostle Paul's faithfulness to 
go, right, on missionary journeys. We're gonna lock in on Paul's first missionary journey. And I just want you to know, I did my doctoral dissertation work on these chunks of scripture. So I'm just preparing you. I might some Sundays preach for six and a half hours. I've got a lot of content on this, okay? This is like my favorite chunk of scripture to preach on, okay? Um, but we're jumping in. I've entitled our kickoff, Let's Go, right? Let's go. Now, we're not gonna let Tom Brady ruin this. I think he says, let's go for like his Hertz commercials. Um, I'm gonna confess something to you, diehard New Orleans Saints fan. I am definitely a hater of all things Tom Brady. He ruined Drew Brees' grand finale of his career. He's ruined a lot of grand finales of a lot of teams. I am begging the Lord that he would, by God's grace, empower his servant, Tom Brady, to ruin the Cowboys' life as well. And so would y'all join with me in those prayers that on Monday night, Tom Brady would once again ruin someone else's life. Um, and then in the second round, I hope the Bucks get beat. But nonetheless, I'm not gonna let him hijack this term, let's go, right? Let's go, right? Uh, I mean, like, let's go. And um, as I've shared, guys, as we've kind of walked together as a church, why, why do we go? Can we just Jesus juke this right out the gate? It's because Jesus went, we just celebrated Christmas together. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He left the comforts of the Trinity of heaven and he came to us. Who are we to say, well, thank you, Jesus, for coming to me. I'm good. I don't really need to go to anyone else. No, Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. And the picture we get of Jesus's commission to his church is found in the book of Acts. We've already seen the church alive, haven't we? Remember, we're talking about God's spirit, working through God's people, unleashing God's movement around the world. And although we're looking at missionary journeys right now, the church has been on mission. Remember in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes down and powers the church, revival hits, and immediately these disciples and these Christ followers begin to be salt and light, to lift high the name of Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. Remember Acts eight, Philip being led into the desert to lead the Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus. God has been on the move and we've seen one soul after another saved. Um, the picture that we've seen up to this point is summarized. Look with me on the screen, Acts chapter nine, verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. The church was on the move. They're not waiting on anything. They're doing it. Praise God. And in even this battle, they had peace. Not superficial, external peace that the world's gonna try and sell you, an internal, everlasting peace. And so the church had peace, it was being built up. And then here's that formula. Remember, we talked about the formula for multiplication. This is how we as a church continue to carry the good news of Jesus Christ from one generation to the next. It says, and walking in the fear of the Lord, that's humility, right? That's not, ah! Fear, that's reverent fear. 
Walking in the fear of the Lord every single day is, Lord, I surrender. Every single day is, Lord, I'm not worthy. Every single day is, yes, Lord, yes. Walking in the fear of the Lord, but then don't you love this? The comfort of the Holy Spirit. Anybody needing a little comfort from the Holy Spirit? Anybody needing to be picked up, to have one's head lifted up? Anyone needing any empowerment? Any parent in the house a little scared as to the reality of what it means to raise kids today because kids be cray-cray? Anybody need the comfort of the Holy Spirit? I know I do. And so in the fear of the Lord... But in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what does the church do? It multiplied. It multiplied. Um, I don't know about y'all. I'm really thankful that, you know, the book of Acts doesn't end there. Because it could have. But the book of Acts continues on. And what we find is from Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 10 to Acts chapter 11 to Acts chapter 12, the church continues to multiply. And we see incredible men of God, the apostle Paul, who at this point is Saul, even in the text that we're reading right now, we see him take the mantle of the gospel. We see Barnabas rise up. We start to meet guys like Timothy here in just a few chapters and others. And, and God begins to raise up men and women the gospel of Jesus. Do you know that God, even after the book of Acts ends, continues to raise people up? I love biographies. Any of y'all love biographies? Um, I love history. I love biographies. I'm not into a lot of hocus pocus and imaginary world type of stuff, but I, I love real history, real story stuff. I'm binge watching, and some of y'all are like, this is hocus pocus, Rob. I'm binge watching The Crown right now, okay? Just because I love kind of British history and The Crown and all that other kind of stuff, and my wife, it's putting her to sleep every night as I'm watching The Crown, okay? Um, but she I won't say it. She's from South Carolina. She's not as distinguished as someone who's from South Africa, right? So uh, nonetheless, I'll get in trouble for that later. Pray for me. Um, I've been watching The Crown. I love history. I love biographies. I reminded myself of the biography of a, a guy who only lived 29 years on this earth. His name was David Brainerd. Um, David Brainerd lived for 29 short years on this earth, but because of his commitment to go to a small people group, the Indians of the Cross Week sung in New Jersey. <laughs> Don't you have to go to like Africa and India and all that to be on mission? No, this one individual's faithfulness to go to a people group, an unreached people group in New Jersey, instead of he himself, with all the opportunities, indulging into wealth and climbing a successful career ladder and all those different things, listen to the impact. His sacrifice and commitment to preach the gospel to this people resulted in hundreds of salvations within this people group. And although a sickness took over his life, he later died in the home of the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards. You might've heard of that name. 
His sacrifice and life of going urgently has impacted the world. Jonathan Edwards penned a biography and it's called The Life of David Brainerd. And as he put this together, I want you to just consider something. Listen to this quote. It's an inspiring thought that one small pebble dropped in the sea of history can produce waves of grace that break on distant shores hundreds of years later and thousands of miles away. Robert Glover ponders this thought with wonder when he writes, it was Brainerd's holy life that influenced Henry Martin to become a missionary and was a prime factor in William Carey's inspiration. William Carey in turn moved to lead the heart of Adoniram Judson. And so we trace the spiritual lineage from step to step. Hoos, Wycliffe, Funk, Zinzendorf, the Wesleys, and Whitfield. Brainerd, Edwards, Carey, Judson, and ever onward in the true apostolic succession of spiritual grace and power and worldwide ministry. What happens when just one person surrenders and answers the Lord? Let's go. Let's go. May I submit to you that the names that I just shared, there's nothing special about them. They're regular Joes like you and me. They use the bathroom like you and me. But may I also share this with you that the way in which I believe Jesus changes this world is he changes this world one life at a time. Maybe you're here today because a friend invited you to church for the first time. Hey, welcome. So glad you're here. On the third Sunday of every month, we throw snakes out and we make sure that everybody's living right. I'm just kidding. Don't run. Um, we have Kool-Aid on the fourth Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're just normal people, normal Joes, normal Janes. We're all sinners. Raise your hand if you're a sinner in the house. Any sinners in the house? Hey, we're so glad you're here. I believe that you're here today. And if you're giving church a try for the first time, you don't know King Jesus. He loves you so much. And today can be a day of salvation. In just a few moments, I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus. And do you know what I believe within even the life change that could happen in your heart? God could use this one life change that's happened in your life to send revival to the nations. For there's truly nothing amazing or supernatural about the Apostle Paul. Do you know what's amazing about the Apostle Paul? He met Jesus. And someone who's been changed by Jesus in this text is committed to go and tell a whole lot of people about Jesus. What's your let's go moment? I know for Annabeth and I in 2017, the Lord presented to us Pittsburgh. Now for, you know, some people from the South, I don't know if you noticed, don't quite have the Yinzer accent. Grew up in New Orleans. Annabeth grew up in South Carolina. I'm just going to let you know, I'd never been to Pittsburgh. And when the Lord put Pittsburgh in front of us, I said, nope. 
I imagined what I see outside right now. No. So Annabeth and I took a trip up here and Pittsburgh lied to us. You know that? For the three days we were up here, it felt like Tampa. And everybody around us was saying, even when we went and watched the Pirates, we watched the, people were like, oh, it's like this all the time. But, you know, we didn't answer God's call because of the weather we saw or anything like that. The Lord spoke. And you know how he spoke? He broke our hearts for the city. Now, I'll never forget, on the plane, on the way back, Annabeth and I looking at each other, and this is my interpretation of it, but she turned to me, high-fived, and said, let's go. <laughs> we didn't exactly do that, but we did say yes. And we said, let's go. What's your let's go moment in just about anything? Relationships, marriage, a call, an opportunity to go and love a neighbor, an opportunity to surrender everything that you have in life, to go and maybe share the gospel with a people group in the world today who've never heard of the name of Jesus. What's your let's go moment? We're going to look at a let's go moment, reminding ourselves, look in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Let's read it again. We, we read this as we closed out because I kind of wanted to plant the seed. Remember, I entitled a message called Set Apart, and then we took six weeks together talking about what it means to be set apart by the Lord to go on mission for King Jesus. All of our resources are online, so go back and watch that if you missed that. But let's remind ourselves of this text. Now, there were in the church... At Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a long friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Gives you a little understanding of what's going on. We're going to talk about the city of Antioch, and we're going to talk about the church that was in the city of Antioch. We can maybe compare it to Pittsburgh and the church called Vintage that's in Pittsburgh. We get a little example of some of their leadership and some of the people who are in their church, but then it says something interesting because if we desire to have a let's go moment, there are some things that we need to do as a church in order to hear from God. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. For our V groups this week, we're kicking V groups back up. We'll be here on Tuesday night at 6.30. We're gonna talk about the ingredients that our church needs and the things that we need to be doing if we are to hear from God so that we can have a let's go moment. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit led. God's spirit working through God's people, unleashing God's movement around the world. Never do we declare to God what we want to do. No, we wait, we pray, and then we go. That's what we've learned throughout Scripture. It's a revolving, repeating door, repeating moment in this text. Wait pray, go. We don't go, wait, and then lastly pray. No, we wait, we pray, and we go. The Holy Spirit said what? Set apart. Everybody say set apart. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work 
to which I have called them. Which is unique in and of itself, because at this point in time, God's been moving in the city of Antioch. I'm going to explain to you, that shouldn't have happened. The church is a mega church. There's way awesome, like just incredible things happening. So, man, shouldn't we hoard pastors for ourselves? Shouldn't we keep everybody for ourselves? Well, the Holy Spirit said, no. I've set apart these leaders to keep going because what you're experiencing in Antioch, it's my heart that it would be experienced all over the world. And so we can't just be about ourselves and our lifetime and our moment. We gotta keep going. So it says that after fasting and praying, can I go ahead and, and prep you? You've got a bunch of cards on your seats and stuff and Pastor Ben's gonna come up and explain that. We're giving you guys a little bit of a heads up as to the calendar for the next three months and so that you can put some things down on the calendar. One of the things we're calling our church to is a 21-day challenge, which is going to include a lot of prayer and fasting. We're gonna seek God together. We're gonna ask for the Lord to be clear Maybe some of you right now have a thought in your mind that God's starting to lead you in a direction. I challenge you to approach the throne of grace with confidence and to boldly ask for God to be clear in what he's telling you to do. Maybe some of you are confused. I'm, I'm gonna raise my hand right now. I got some moments right now, I'm confused. Anybody else willing to admit? Yeah, Pastor Rob, I, I don't really know what God's doing right now. I don't really know what's happening right now. Let's fast and pray. God wants to be there for you. For where we are weak, he is strong. It says then after fasting and praying, this is where I'm just telling you, Jesus never designs for anyone to go and be some sort of like solo, you know, lone ranger for the kingdom of God. God has never designed nor ever called anybody ever to remove themselves from the church. You will not operate nor accelerate what God has for you in your life being a lone ranger. You are called to do this with the bride of Christ. And it says, as the church comes together, prays and fasts together, it says the church laid hands on them and did what? Sent them off. The powerful picture of multiplication. Remember, just like from David Brainerd to all those legends. Remember, in the book of Luke, as we looked at last week, it's Jesus to the 12. Then it's the 12 disciples to Barnabas. Then it's Barnabas bringing Paul in with Antioch. And now it's Paul to the ends of the earth. All right, let's, let's talk about a few things as we consider this story. Because we've entitled this section of our text, For Our City. That's our theme for the year. We're locking in in the first quarter of the year with For Our Lives. Then we're gonna, in the second quarter, For Our Community. Third quarter, For Our Church. And then last quarter of the year, For The World. And so if we consider city here in this text, the gospel of Jesus Christ has now spread to a city that is called Antioch. Here's some things about the city of Antioch. Back in the day, it was known as the queen city of the East. 
This city was one of the most prominent cities in the Roman Empire. It was a leader of industry and innovation, paved marble streets, lit at night, one of the only cities that had this in the ancient world. Um, It had been rebuilt several times because of earthquakes and fires and wars. And that's one of the reasons why it was so, at that point in time, modern or up to date or so stellar. It was a great city. May I share this with you, it was also a very evil city. And the reputation of Antioch spread throughout the Roman Empire. From the political system to what happened on the streets, this city was an extremely evil city with every kind of sinful activity you can imagine. Murder, prostitution, racism, abuse to the poor, corruption. This was a city known for sin. The chief religion within the city was the temple of Daphne, which was the temple of worship of immorality, and you would sleep with prostitutes to worship that God. This is Antioch. What is Pittsburgh? Where are we? Anybody else depressed when they watch the news? Yeah, there's a lot of great things going on, but there's a lot of evil going on here too. And so some might say, don't go to Antioch. A lot of my friends down south said, don't go to Pittsburgh. It's cold up there. I've had the privilege of leading a church in the city of New Orleans. Just want you to know, there's nothing evil in that city. And Pittsburgh. And one of the things I can assure you is that sin is alive in New Orleans and Pittsburgh. But how many of y'all know that although the enemy can be great, our God is greater? What a place for God to show up. What a place for the church to be established. What a place for you to shine the light of Christ, for you to be salt and light. What a place to go. You see, a church was established in Antioch. Let's consider this church. Because a powerful move of God begins to happen. In one commentary, it says this, any vice, any God, any pleasure was within walking distance of Antioch. The streets of Antioch were never quiet. The city never slept. If there was a city in the Roman Empire that you would never imagine a place for an evangelistic crusade, it would be Antioch. If there was ever a city that would ignore the gospel, it would be this city. And yet God showed up and he established a powerful church. And considering this church, you can read about the launch of the church in Antioch. Go back to Acts chapter 11. We walk through it together. God establishes this work and it starts to spread. And although there's great persecution and 
And there's great resistance. The gospel spreads throughout Antioch in such a way that the leaders in Antioch need help. And they tell the church in Jerusalem, we need help. And so guess who comes? Barnabas. And Barnabas shows up with power and strength to come alongside the brothers and sisters in Christ in Antioch. And do you know what happens? Barnabas says, I am overwhelmed. I know a guy who never gets scared. He's a little crazy. Where's the Apostle Paul. And so he goes and gets Paul, and Paul now comes, and together they've locked shields of faith, and they're both preaching the gospel of Jesus in this city. The names that we see here describe the church in Antioch. Do you know that this church was distinct? This church was distinct. In Acts chapter 11, it talks about the church that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Do you know what that means? There was a difference between the church and the city. Can I put it another way? They were in the city, but not of the city. There is going to be a cost, my friends in your popularity in Pittsburgh for you to lift high the banner of Christ. This church was distinct. You know that this church was also diverse. The the reality of the leadership, Barnabas, the great encourager, Simeon, who is called Niger, he's from North Africa, Lucius of Cyrene, Cyrene is in North Africa, Menaean was a well-known and influential person in Antioch, and then Saul, Acts 9. We know that the leadership probably reflected the reality of this church. This church was a diverse church, and One of the things that I want you to know your pastor's praying is that in terms of ethnicity, in terms of age, in terms of socioeconomic status, I pray that we would be a church that reflects every sphere of this life so that we might be the light of Christ to every sphere of the city of Pittsburgh. This church was diverse. This church was also desperate. Although they had grown and seen some success, they never stopped praying and pleading with the Lord. Here in this moment, even in the pinnacle of their ministry, what does it say? They prayed while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Guys, we're gonna challenge you in those 21 days to fast. Can I put it another way? Deprive yourself of something in this world so that you might recognize your need to grow in a hunger for God above anything in this world. This church was desperate for the Lord to continue to lead things into the future. Lastly, this church was devoted. This church was obedient to the spirit after fasting, after praying, even when it hurt, they laid hands on their superstar preachers and said, you gotta go because Jesus didn't just die for us. He died for the world. And we know that God's heart is to see revival happen 
not just in Antioch, but in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The Spirit of God sends out Barnabas and Saul. So what's your let's go moment? Um, I've got a, a map behind me, and this is a map of Paul's missionary journeys. We're going to have some fun. Next week, we're going to give you a mini commentary over Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 16, that one of our staff leaders, Josh Stevens, has written for you. And so he's taken a lot of time over the last two, three months to write this commentary for our church, and I'm really thankful. He's actually doing a wedding in Alaska right now, of all places. Um, him and his wife went up there. That's where he used to serve the Lord before he came to us. And, and so we love Josh and, and what he's done. So we're going to give that to you next week, but I wanted to kind of go ahead and, and just kind of plant a seed in regards to the missionary journeys and, and what Paul did as he was sent out. Because we're going to talk over the next really three to four to five weeks about this journey. Um, Paul goes to Cyprus and then he goes to Antioch and Pisidia. This is not the Antioch that we've been talking about. Then Iconium and then Lystra, okay? So let's talk about Cyprus. When you first of all see over to my right, you see Antioch, right? And if you follow not a dotted line, but a straight line on this first section, he goes from Antioch to Seleucia, okay, there's a good chance I might cuss saying one of these names, okay, so just forgive me ahead of time if that kind of leaks out, but you got Seleucia, then Salamis, you see the island of Cyprus, and then Paphos, that's going to be the first story that we look at in Acts chapter 13 all the way to verse 12, some amazing things happen there, a proconsul gets saved, Miracles happen. They preach in the synagogues to some magicians and even false teachers, one named Bar-Jesus. By the way, do you know the enemy loves to disguise himself? But he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, the next journey is a number of different things. You see Paphos there, and so you kind of continue on in regards to this outbound journey from Paphos to Perga, all the way up there in uh, Lycia, you see there, right on the coast there, and then from Perga to Italia, and then Antioch and Pisidia, okay? And so basically, you see this journey, and that's the second story we're going to look at. That takes us all the way to verse 52. Paul and Barnabas preached the word and exposed the truth of the gospel despite incredible resistance. The next one is a story that's found in Acts chapter 14, Iconium. And so you can kind of see from Antioch and Pisidia goes over to Iconium. And so you see this journey from Iconium to Lystra to Derby. And in this journey, you find two different stories in Acts chapter 14. And you find some amazing miracles. One story that I love happens in Lystra. The Spirit empowers Paul to heal a man who's been crippled by birth, from birth. Isn't that incredible? God is still miraculously healing as Jesus healed. The other one that I love looking at is the story of Jews who come from Antioch and Pisidia because Paul has just preached the gospel there. Do you know what they're mad about? Because Paul went there, a movement of Jesus has started there. So they're ticked off and they're chasing after Paul to stop him. 
And what happens is they chase after him. They go get Paul. They drag him out of the city. They beat him almost to the point of death. And I love what happens in this. I can't wait to preach. That'll probably be the Sunday I preach six and a half hours. Do you know that the disciples gather around Paul after he's been almost stoned to death? Paul rises up. I'm just gonna confess, I can't do this. Paul rises up and goes right back into the city that he's just been beat up in. (laughs) Me, I'm going to Cancun. I need an all-inclusive resort ASAP. I'm a sissy. I'm just being honest. I almost get stoned to death here in Pittsburgh. Peace. Not Paul. But is this Paul? What did we learn last week? To deny oneself, take up one's cross, follow him. That's the work of Jesus giving us the power to do that. Because Jesus first died for us so that we might be able to do these things. But also love this, it wasn't just the power of Christ. How does Paul have the strength to get back up and go? The disciples gathered around him, prayed for him, and loved on him. He's like, I'm not alone. I got my homies. Let's go. I love that story. Then it's church, let's go. I asked the Lord this week, we're coming to a close here and I asked the Lord this week, what what would you, Lord, want me to plant a seed within the church family that I love so much as to the great commission? And the Lord was very clear to me that with all due respect, we needed to get our eyes off of ourselves in Pittsburgh and we needed to consider the need around the world. And I pray that maybe as we reflect on some stats and we consider a few things that the same thing that happened to me and Annabeth, to be honest, it wasn't that we felt sorry for you or whatever else. There's sin and there's need and there's people who need Jesus in every city. God triggered me and Annabeth's heart to accept the call to come up here, quote unquote, as missionaries five years ago because he broke our hearts for this city. And I do believe that as we consider these things, God in this moment might break your heart for a next door neighbor. But may I submit this to us, church? And I don't know how much I've preached this, and I apologize for not preaching this. Jesus has never called us to a Jerusalem first ministry. Jesus has never called us to a Jerusalem only ministry. For God so loved the world. This is what moved the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch couldn't just say, well, there's still more lost people here. There's still more people who need Jesus here. So let's just holy hoard Paul and Barnabas for ourselves to only be about ourselves and our city. No, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. And may we be a church that, yes, makes an impact in every street of this mighty, beautiful city called Pittsburgh. But may you and I also make an impact to the ends of the earth. For Jesus has called us to be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and the ends of the earth. Listen to these words. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. It's on the screen behind me. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus modeling for us this let's go mission. And it says when he saw the crowds, his heart breaks. I'm just telling you, Jesus would never go to a Steelers game and only be about football. I'm just letting you know. Jesus would be at a Steelers game crying. Because he would see that the majority of the people at that Steelers game worship the Steelers more than him. When Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because they don't have him. They don't have a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he says to his disciples, because Jesus isn't just going to, well, I guess the world can go to hell. He loves the world. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. I want you to know, I am sending you out to a mission that's guaranteed. I'm sending you out to something that can never fail. The harvest is plentiful, but sadly the workers are few. Because there's a lot of people in the Antiochs of the world who would rather say, no, this is about me and my moment and my city and no one else matters. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. No, I know I live in this neighborhood, but this is my house. Who cares about my neighbors? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, do what? Pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Look at...